This is the How to Become a Career Coach podcast, the largest podcast for up and coming career coaches in the world, and is dedicated to helping people that are in the early stages of becoming a career coach. I'm your host, Philip Mianko, and in this show, we bring practical advice based on real experiences. And we share actual stories of people that are current career coaches. So let's get started. I'm super excited today. And honestly, it, this is the most exciting day of the podcast ever because I've got a very special guest, my dream guest, in fact. And before we hit the record button, I didn't tell her this, but she is actually one of the reasons why I actually became a career coach. And I showed her my copy of her wonderful book, Pivot, but I'm super excited to have speaker, author, business leader, coach, Jenny Blake on the podcast today. So Jenny, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Philip. This is maybe the best introduction for a podcast I've ever had. So thank you. I'm honored to be here. And I've been so overjoyed watching your journey these last few years. And I even it was such a treat to see Pivot all marked up and tagged. So thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, that means a ton. So because I know you, we've been connected for a long time. But for people who maybe are meeting you for the first time or who haven't heard of you before, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I would say I'm a lifelong learner. I'm just going to start there. Borderline book hoarder, love reading. I have a 10-month-old German Shepherd puppy. I'm married now. I never thought I would be married. I live in New York City, which has gotten insane in 2020. (laughs) We are not one of those couples that escaped. And business-wise, I've always been into technology and using my love of learning and also my own suffering to devour information, synthesize it, systematize it, and then share it with others. So back in 2005, I set up my first website, lifeaftercollege.org, which became, I was working at a startup at the time as the first employee in Palo Alto. After two years, moved over to Google. I was at Google for five and a half, and I left Google to launch my first book, Life After College, in 2011. And then I thought I didn't know if I'd last six months or for the long haul. Thankfully, I'm still here. It's almost 10 years later, and I've been living in New York City as well for almost 10 years. So those are the big highlights of who I am and what I've been up to, and I'll let you dive in wherever you want to next. Yeah, because I definitely want to get into the leaps that you took from you know going from the startup to Google, but then going out on your own venture. But before all those time periods, you were doing coaching. You're not. It sounds like you're not doing coaching as much anymore, but... I guess my question is, why do you want to become a coach or a career coach in the first place? Yeah, so I received my first coaching session as part of a leadership program at Google when I was 21 years old, maybe 22. It was part of a program based on the book Conscious Business by Fred Kaufman, which completely changed my life at that time. And I received two or three coaching sessions that I just could not believe someone was asking me, what is your purpose? Why do you exist on the planet? What are your values? And my coach helped me identify that I wanted to help people and help young professionals feel more fulfilled. And he helped me start working out again. I had gained the Google 15 (laughs) slash the Google 25. And he suggested, he said, you know, you might be interested in becoming a coach. So I attended this evening event, this networking, um, not networking, it was an information session for CTI 
And I just thought, what the heck? I'll just put myself there, see what this thing is all about. I mean, nobody was talking about life coaching back in 2007, which is when I would have gone to that. I'd never heard the phrase. I mean, this was a business coach that I had in the session. I think the icebreaker was, what's your dream? So we walked around the room meeting people saying, what's your dream? What's your dream? I just couldn't believe it. It felt like all these personal development and self-help books that I had been reading for several years had just come to life in this room, and there was an entire profession that brought these books to life about figuring out who you are and what makes you tick and what's getting in the way and how do you do great things and feel fulfilled while doing them and not burnt out and unhappy and stuck and stagnant. That info session was all I needed. Just like you, Philip, I had a networking call with a guy who was just in the Bay Area. I think my coach recommended him to me and his name's Adrian. He's quoted on the front of Life After College, my first book. To this day, I still send people to his Career Pathfinder program. And Adrian just told me about the profession itself and what it was like. And he had recently, maybe a year prior, made the change. So that was all I needed. And then I petitioned to allow Google to let me go to coach training on nights and weekends and reimburse me for part of it. And so I went to training in 2008 and completed certification in 2010 and launched a global drop-in coaching program at Google with those skills, even though when I first asked them to attend, it appeared that it didn't fit with my role at all. And they said Mm -hmm. no several times. And then only once they said yes, I started to follow those breadcrumbs and was able to do a lot of coaching internally before I left. It's interesting because, and then you said CTI and for our listeners, I met, I think that's the coaching training institute. Is that right? Yeah, the Coaches Training Institute, although I think they've renamed it since. <laughs> I think so too. I think it's like Coactive yeah. or something like that. Oh yeah, maybe Coactive Training Institute. That's, that's true. That, it's called <laughs> but, Coactive Coaching. Yeah, and they have a couple books if you just want to get curious about their method too. It's interesting because a lot of our listeners, they know that this podcast for me is an opportunity to gain and meet a lot of new best friends. And it's rare that I bring on one of my current best friends, even though I said, I was like, Jenny, you know, we, you might not know this, but we're already best friends. You just not, might not know it yet. And I think so much of where I relate to your story is just following those breadcrumbs and you're gaining so much information. And what I find for a lot of our listeners is that sometimes they are in the same spot where they are gaining lots of information from books or from people they they're working with and they're just following those breadcrumbs. And it's interesting because you get lots of no's along the way and you have to figure things out. And it's how connected are you are to that dream that I imagine keeps you going or at least hopefully doesn't stop you for too long. And I think something that has inspired me from your journey, but just what you shared is that just that ability to keep going and not only do that, but now you talked about moving to start your own business and moving across the country to New York City too from Silicon Valley. So how did you know when it was time to make that leap? And especially all those fears that came into play? Well, first of all, what else are podcasts for other than to make new best friends? (laughs) Exactly. Selfishly on the part of the host, why do we even have one? It's because so we can make new best friends and then listeners just get to, you know, listen in to this new BFF ship that is happening. (laughs) So that's why I have a podcast too, because... I have legitimately become best friends with one of my sheroes. Her name is Penny Pierce. She wrote a book called The Intuitive Way. And there was an exercise in her book where you you write down who would be a dream to talk to someday. And I wrote her name and I thought, this is so cheesy. She wrote this book. Everyone's going to write her name down as they would want to talk to her someday. Talk to, Philip. 
Then I scheduled a reading with her because she does numerology readings. Then I invited her to my podcast and one thing led to another. We now have 12 episodes in the Penny and Jenny show and we are legitimately best friends. So it happens. It's real. (laughs) And I'm honored that I'm on your list. (laughs) The next thing. So to address the, with coaching and if you're internal at a company, it's not going to work most likely for you to take whatever your role, whatever role you're in now and saying, Hey company, Hey manager, I want to become a full-time coach internally. Mm. You sign off not going to work. If they have any kind of training reimbursement, coaching can be such an incredible supplement to every single act of leadership and relationship that you have. Personal, professional, the, the tools that you will gain are so applicable to friendships, family, per, uh, intimate relationships, manager reporting relationships. It's not that difficult to make a business case to get at least partial reimbursement. And then as with anything, whether internally moving to New York or anything in my own business, I always start small. So at Google, you, you often hear about Google's 10 or 20% projects. For me, coach training itself was a 10% project. And then starting the drop-in coaching program, it's called Career Guru. It is still around today with thousands of career gurus or who are internal coaches. And that was started as a 10% project. So it's all about getting those smaller yeses that will build and that can naturally grow on their own. So if ever someone's a little stuck trying to figure out how to do something within the job they have, I would say break down your request until it's small enough and easy enough for someone to say yes. So for example, maybe your manager will not sign off on a $10,000 coach training program, but you ask, can I reimburse 50% of the cost of hiring a coach for three or five sessions? Mm. Try that and then it can build. And then you can prove the value of whatever it is you're doing to make the case for the next stage and the next one after that. For me, when it came to leaving Google, there's something important that I want to say, which is that one of my mentors or friends who was a coach outside of Google, I was grappling with when should I leave? Should I leave? Am I making the worst mistake of my life? Because back in 2010, 2011, again, there was not this story that's on Fast Company every other week of why I left my six-figure job at Google. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it's known that these tech companies, there's a lot of burnout and there's a lot of bureaucracy because they're so big and leaving is no big deal. But at the time I was thinking of doing it, it was, you just must be insane. And this mentor coach that I had, she was not my direct coach, but she was a mentor who did coaching on the outside. She said, oh, well, if you're thinking of leaving, can I have your role? Can you put my name in for your role? Really? And yes. And that, felt, that scared me so much because I thought, oh, no. If even the person I'm asking for advice on should I leave and when should I leave is saying, well, then can I have your job? Yeah. What must it be like on the other side? You know, yeah. I just thought, oh, no. It must mean I'm making a huge mistake. Having that person ask you if they could have your job, I imagine, was extremely terrifying, but probably made that hump of like, or the, the decision to leave even bigger and just making that whole process scary. But even in that process time too, of knowing, all right, how am I going to get clients? How is this really going to work? I imagine those were big concerns for you at the time. Or do you remember like looking back for you, what the biggest fears were, or what they sounded like? At that time, there was a lot of advice that you should be earning as much with your side hustle as you are with your full-time job so that you can seamlessly replace one with the other. Mm -hmm. There was no way. I mean, Google itself is a 150% job. It's so intense. I was running this global coaching program, among many other things. I mean, it wasn't even the only part of my role. And 
and trying to get my book out. So there was no way I had the energy to ramp up income on the side. I wasn't really earning much, but I did have a book coming out and I did have a blog. So I had already been building a platform and somebody said to me, this is another, I call them friend tours, <laughs> friends <laughs> who are mentors, but it's not this formal top-down mentoring relationship. And he said, how would you feel if a year from now, nothing had changed? And that's when I realized I would really feel bad that these messages I was promoting on my blog about taking risks and taking great leaps and going for your dreams, you know, I didn't want to be hypocritical. And I also at that time became aware of Jeff Bezos. He has by now a more familiar regret minimization framework. So looking back on your life, what would you regret more, taking this chance or not taking it? And then the third data point that I looked at was, okay, I had six months of savings and I call that your pivot runway. So I had six months of runway and I just, at some point, I was so burnt out from trying to juggle my side hustle, the book coming out, my full-time role. I just couldn't do both. And so I asked for a three-month sabbatical to launch my book, fully intending to come back. And as soon as I was on that sabbatical, my life after college, that world, it just took over all day, every day. I went to South by Southwest for the first time. I was, you know, responding to email, getting speaking requests. And so knowing I couldn't do both, if I had to make a bet on one or the other, I just felt that I had more potential to grow and be of service to the world outside of Google than I did internally. Because internally, I was in a role within people operations at that time, supporting 35,000 Googlers. That if I go out on my own, I could reach many more people than that. And so I decided, and my, in terms of my parents, like my mom still doesn't think it was a good choice to leave Google <laughs> when I did. My dad's always like, go for it, do whatever you want. I never was 100% sure. I just reached a point where I knew that I was willing to try. And I knew that if I did not earn a dime for six months, the length of my runway, it would be okay. I would just either go back to Google at the end of that six months, ask for a job again. I would figure it out. But I knew that I was willing to run out my savings. And that, that was the first time that I felt that way. And then sure enough, I think I just hustled so hard that first year, which I don't recommend. I'm not a hustle culture proponent. But I, I had so much adrenaline from leaving and not wanting anyone who told me it was a mistake to be right that I made it just fine the first year. And it was, it was two years after leaving and after life after college. That's when I hit business bottom. That's when I got down to zero in my savings account. And that's the really tough year, 2013, and really tough time that ultimately led to me writing Pivot. So first of all, thank you for sharing all that because I think it's... We talk about making this leap so much or when I'm talking with so many of our listeners or when I get, or get the opportunity to talk to so many people, they, they somehow, you know, it's not everybody thinks it's like, we'll do one thing and then the other, or it's like this smooth transition where you're just be building up clientele, then it kind of moves over. But in all reality, it looks different for everybody. And especially when you're writing a book or having speaking gigs or all these types of things in my mind, it's going to work. It's going to look different for you based on really how do you want to plan your pivot runway and, and ultimately how are you going to make this best for you and how are you, how are you going to choose to serve as best you can? And I think one of the things that I, that I'm taking away too, is that, and this is what I tell everybody, but it, it shares, it shows so much in your story that you're never a hundred percent there. And even if you are, even if you're like 100% there too, that doesn't mean there's still not going to be things coming up and you won't hit rock bottom or hit those types of things moving forward. And 
I think it, it pivots into one of my other questions too. And it kind of stems in this is, you know, what was the hardest thing about becoming a coach for you? And I know that you also run a, a community as well that I was a part of, but where do you also see new coaches struggle? For being a hundred percent sure, because right now we're recording this in mid 2020. <laughs> yep. Nobody knows what the hell is going on. Nobody has the answers. This is the first time like, if there was ever sort of a level playing field, not in skills and experience and expertise necessarily, but in terms of not knowing 100%, not even knowing 20, 30, 40%, we can't know. This global snow globe shakeup, the dust has not settled and it may not for a long time. So I was one of those that I lost almost 80% of my income when the pandemic hit and uh, that included keynote speaking. Of course, everything was canceled. It included big licensing contracts because those companies got impacted and tightened the belt. And I had already said I would not do one-on-one coaching in 2020. Just, I can explain why. So remind me, we'll put a pin in it. Gotcha. There's a hook. That's what I, I learned about podcasting. You should leave open loops. I didn't do it on purpose, but we'll get there. And then the only thing keeping my business afloat is the private momentum community that you mentioned, Philip made up of small business owners, small heart-based business owners. And you would think that because I do work with companies like Google, Microsoft, big, big companies, that they would keep me afloat in times like 2020. And I still work with Google. They're actually still a client to this day. So that's part of my pivot story is that relationship continues evolving. They've now rolled out pivot as their global career development framework, which is really exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you so much. And they do licensing. So they have pivot trainers within Google who deliver pivot trainings to fellow Googlers. It's the community. We're like helping bootstrap each other and keeping each other afloat and keeping each other sane during this crazy year. So that really surprised me because there have been many points. I've had momentum for five years and there were many points along that five years where I thought, it's a lot of work. I'm not earning as much relative to what I earn with big companies. Mm. Should I convert this to some kind of free community? I always ask myself those questions and to not being 100% sure, I never really know exactly, but I know that my heart is in it. And because it's heart-based business, we attract such beautiful, brilliant, generous people. And now, thank goodness, I had that talk about diversified pivot portfolio and Mm. revenue streams. Thank goodness that that's there. And In terms of just, again, not being 100% sure, let me tell you a couple of the things I invested in at the beginning of 2020. Advertising pivot in airport bookstores, which cost money. Those aren't just lovingly uh, curated by the bookseller in whatever airport you're in. No, people just pay to play. So I paid $7,000 up front to advertise in airport bookstores May, June, and July. Okay, exactly when airports were like a ghost town. (laughs) I paid up front to attend the TED conference 2020 because I thought 2020 is going to be the tipping point for pivot. This is going to be my year. So I paid 10 grand plus airfare hotel up front. I paid $3,000 for a new keynote speaking reel. All of this, Philip, was money that like left my bank account in January of 2020 Mm -hmm. or February. There were a couple, oh, oh, Soho House, I'm a member here in New York, $3,500. All of these things were bets. Like I wasn't sure, but I thought these might be good things to be investing in this year. The worst. It's the worst time. Ted got bunted to 2022. Airports, I finally postponed that. But I mean, I am never sure what's going to happen. And what this pandemic did, especially for business owners, whether you've been around almost 10 years like me, or you're just getting going, it's like 
it just taught us all that lesson that anything can happen at any time. And, and so even navigating this year has been such a roller coaster. I don't have certainty. The only thing that I recommend that I've been doing is pausing and not trying to scramble and not trying to like, I didn't reopen the doors for one-on-one coaching, which would have been the safe thing to do because that had always been my bridge income in the past, but I, my energy is not there. So Mm -hmm. I want to work on the business, not in it. So it's a guessing game all the time. And the thing is about making decisions, whether it's as ginormous as leaving a full-time job and a steady paycheck, which you may not want to do in 2020 if you have one of those, is you got to listen to your gut. And if your gut is telling you deep down, do it, go for it, then decisions are data. They're, they're almost never irreversible. And the thing that I always say to people who are in a full-time job, you have no idea your capacity and your creativity and your resourcefulness when it's just you. Because instead of all the BS that you're navigating at work and the approval chains and the communications and the meetings all day long and the Zoom fatigue, et cetera, you have one goal every month and that is pay your rent. That's it. And I guarantee you, if you put 20 hours a week, not even 40 hours a week, 20 hours a week times four weeks. So you have 80 hours and your goal in those 80 hours is to figure out how you can pay your monthly net of your you know, expenses. You're going to figure it out. It is not rocket science. And it's not necessarily easy to get to seven figures, despite what people will say. But maybe it is easy. That's the thing. I would never want to tell you that anything about any of this is hard. So one of my mantras is let it be easy, let it be fun. And business building should be exactly that way. Mm. Our listeners know that I talk about mic drop moments in this podcast. And that is definitely one of them because it's definitely making this whole process fun and building your business. But reading pivot following that for a while we talk about the pivot method and just learning how to change because that's the constant thing but it seems like or at least one of the things that i imagine we're talking about here what i'm picking up from you is that this also matters inside your business especially your coaching business and not only is it matter before 2020 but it matters even more so now that you are pivoting in a way that you are pausing really reflecting on is this some place where you are best to serve and keeping that in mind and all the other big things like your rent being paid, all kinds of things that you can make this happen. You can pivot, you can figure a way to to work it out and make these things work out. And they might come in unexpected ways, but they also might come from ways that you thought were serving you that aren't serving you anymore too. And so on that note, thank you for the mic drop moment. But the other thing too is putting, coming back to that pin that you mentioned that you left one-on-one coaching that was used to be a driver, but it, it sounded like it wasn't serving you as much anymore. Yes. So I have three things to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah go ahead. Or building on what you just recapped, which was so great. And thank you for the mic drop badge. That's, <laughs> uh, we can end our podcast now knowing at least we caught one of those. That's good. <laughs> First, let's talk practicalities. It completely transformed my business as a coach when I, back when I was mostly coaching to move from project-based billing, AKA selling people packages of three months, six months to retainer-based billing. So I don't care if you're still a practice coach and you charge $400 a month on retainer for four sessions, put your clients on a retainer where they're billed on the first of every month, good until canceled, get a recurring day and time on calendar so you don't have to be dealing with scheduling all the time and neither do they, and everybody's clear. 
And what some coaches are afraid to do that because they think, oh no, but I could get more revenue if I booked a six month contract. Well, what a retainer did for me was encouraged me to add tremendous value every single month and kind of earn my position in their life every single month and deliver value and over deliver. Ideally, you're, and I asked my potential clients when I was coaching, I would ask them, what would make this coaching engagement priceless for you? Like mm. not just doubling your investment. I mean, what would make this the best money you have ever spent? What would need to be happening in your life? And I don't hesitate to talk about the money because it's real. It's on their mind. It's on my mind. Let's just put it front and center. Look, you're going to be investing $500 a month with me or $1,500 a month with me, depending on what level or more. What would make that the best money you've ever spent? And I'm going to tell you a story. My friend and I, I my pandemic purchase of 2020 is a Peloton. <laughs> I did not think, yes, I did not think I was going to cave. I thought I'm not a spin person. That's not my scene. Uh-huh. I got this bike and I, I ordered it and it was, I mean, when did it arrive? Three months ago. I've been on a three month daily workout streak. I love, love, love it. Wow. My friend and I were saying, yeah, we paid $3,000 for this bike. And we were saying, this is the best money we've ever spent. We're like, we are delighted. I would throw money at Peloton for what it's brought into my life. And what's so funny is that it's not the cheapest bike on the market. It's a high investment, but it depends how you value your fitness and whatnot. And you amortize it over every day you use it. But the thing is, we're delighted to give Peloton this money. We're so delighted because we're like, thank you. You changed my life, you know? And that's the relationship you can have with your fees and your clients is, Glee, if you deliver something so impactful, and, and nowadays it needs to be very specific, then your clients are not, oh my gosh, there's so much to say. So normally not this scattered, but you really got me on a topic that I feel so passionately. Yeah. Let me add a fourth thing to our pin and awesome. remind me it's about Byron Katie. So retainer-based billing really changed the game for me getting going. And I recommend that unless you have a really good reason not to, and something's really working well for you. I encourage you to try it because steady cash flow. You know, if I have five clients, I'm earning this much on the first of the month. It's a way to sanity. Number two for coaches. Coaching now, everybody's a life coach. Everybody and their mother is a life coach now. Uh So this, I do not believe that just saying you're a coach is a profession anymore. I think that it was. And I think now you need to be more specific. And now at least the good news is many people are familiar with coaches, but The slight problem is is that the market is getting more and more saturated with people who are calling themselves coaches. So the word coach is not even, in my personal opinion, and I don't mind, Philip, you can disagree. We could like go back and forth. I don't mind. Yeah. But I think you need to offer people something specific and clear to a specific and clear group. You can always grow it later. Don't feel too restricted. It will change and evolve as you do. But to just hang a shingle and say like, I'm a coach and I'm going to help you feel more fulfilled. That's not really going to get you there anymore because everybody's doing that. So I see coaching as this like essential tool in your toolkit, but what is the toolkit supporting? There needs to be an actual structure and a foundation that transcends just being a coach. It's almost like if you had an MBA You wouldn't just say, I'm a B-school grad. Let me run your business. Like, Mm -hmm. put me in that, you know. No. So with coaching, the same thing. And I think there was a time that it was easier to do that and just say, yeah, I'm a coach. But now it's like, okay, you went to B-school or you went to coaching school. 
what's your intersection of talents and passions and people you really are excited to serve and how you add value. And it takes time to get there. You might have to have some clients where you're offering sort of generic, but the more you can hone in on that, the better and the easier it will be to a good living. And then the last part before I, and and then I'll pause before I get to the Byron Katie thing, but the last piece and why I'm not doing one-on-one, I learned this from a company called Strategic Coach. They're really awesome if you want good like business mentoring. I haven't done it yet, but it's on my radar. And there's three stages to a business saying, I am a coach. Mm. That's essentially a service provider. I am a coach. It's like saying I am a dentist. Space two, you could say I am an entrepreneur who coaches. So coaching is one thing that you do, but maybe you're building a more scalable business around it. And let's say level three, and you don't have to, these aren't vertical. Like these aren't, um, you pick what fits for you. So let's just say a third version of this is I'm the founder of a company that X, Y, Z, and you're now a CEO running a company where maybe you're not even delivering the services. And what I found was it's very hard to switch from being the service provider. So I am a coach to any kind of scale. And what was driving me crazy was that if I got sick or I needed a break or I was burnt out or creatively spent or things were happening in my life and I, and I needed to step away from the business, all my revenue ground to a halt. Mm-hmm. And that was so stressful. And I just knew that it wasn't sustainable for my personality type. Like I've been borderline catatonic for two months just dealing with so much stuff. And so I know like in 2020, it'd be so hard for me to show up the way I want to for one-on-one clients. And so I have a team of pivot coaches that if somebody reads pivot or they listen to the podcast, they can either join us in momentum, which is where I do sort of coaching at scale, or they could sign up to work one-on-one with a pivot coach, but it's not me. And that just gives me a little bit of breathing room that I need for my sanity because I'm not always in a place where I can give the energy that I want to give. So now, as you saw in my bio, Philip, it doesn't even say I'm a coach because again, I feel that the label coach is kind of irrelevant now. It's like saying I have a degree. I am a coach. It's like, it's so broad that I don't put it front and center anymore. I say I'm the founder of the pivot method. I'm an author. I'm a podcaster. Um, I'm not saying it's bad if you say you're a coach, but I'm saying it's not quite specific enough anymore buddy's juice is flowing. Like, oh, wow. She sounds so interesting. She's a coach. You know what I mean? And I realize, I realize I'm saying that on a podcast about coaching. So I'm, trying, I'm being a little bit provocative on purpose. First of all, I agree with everything that you said. And this is the exact reason why I wanted to bring you on here, because this level of insight is what most people don't think about, especially when they're in that first phase. And I think, no, 100% agree more so on getting as specific as you can with the audience you're looking to serve. I've spoke many times on this podcast, mostly about, I feel like coaching, or at least the coaching, to run a coaching business, it's all about personal, like fit. How much are you speaking to the needs, the wants, the using the exact language of the people you're looking to serve on one side? And it's also results-based, meaning are you getting the people the exact thing that you're telling them they're gonna, you're going to help them with? Are you actually able to help get them that change, help them get through the struggle, whatever those things might be, because they are results and trust. They're trusting you a lot with their money, with their time, with something that's very important to them. And so I think having both of those and the earlier that you can get as specific as possible is the best thing. But the more interesting thing that, that you were mentioning here, Jenny, that I think 
don't know if we've actually ever talked about this on the podcast. So first of all, that excites me. But second is that, you know, everyone's calling themselves a coach and we live in the wild, wild west where anybody, anybody can call themselves a coach. But for our clients or the people you're looking to serve, and I'm, I'm sure if you found this with, with your coaches, is that we have to do so much more. And in fact, our clients are asking us to do much more. And the people who are going to have the longevity to really be able to make a difference and sustain are going to have to be able to wear multiple hats or be able to serve their people in many, many different ways. And the thing that I'm taking from that, and even from everything you've said before too, is that navigating that change and be able to I'm continuing to use the word pivot, but pivot in that type of way for our clients and how are you adding more value to them now and in the future is something not only do you have to do, but it's required and necessary to move forward. I love what you talking about trust and results. And I do think results speak for themselves and that's Mm -hmm. what gets you word of mouth and having good rapport with somebody. So how quickly can you establish that? And I don't mean to say that in your business, you need to do so many different activities like revenue streams, because I think that can actually you from getting to a robust steady income that you need. But for example, there's a woman named Jordan Gill. She has a podcast called Systems Saved Me. She has a business model where she recommends trying to do three VIP days a month or intensives. And that's it. <laughs> so imagine mm-hmm. three VIP days times 5,000 depending how specific and how the value of the results you're delivering. It can't just be like, let's hang out for a day, 5K. (laughs) Although, hey, maybe you and I can launch a BFF ship uh, VIP day. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm totally in. Sign me up now. Think about who it is. We were talking about Tim Ferriss before he hit record. So what if Tim was like, you can hang out with me for a day, 5K. How many people would pay it? Like people would pay it. So, but imagine that only means you're working intensely three days a month. And then she does sales calls on the Wednesdays. So let's say the VIP days are on a Monday or a Friday and the sales calls are all on Wednesdays. You can be so creative with how you structure and deliver your services, even as a quote service provider. Mm. And so I think it's getting so specific with the results. And the thing, the fourth thing on Byron Katie that I wanted to say about pricing is she has this thing that goes with any and all thinking. It's not just about pricing. I'm just adapting it so that if let's say you're worrying what someone else is thinking about you. So if you're up in their business and they're up in their business, then there's nobody home for yours. And so when it comes to pricing, if you're in your customer's wallet or your client's wallet or their budget, and they're thinking about their wallet and their budget, there's nobody home for yours. So how can you price your services in a way that is joyful, delightful, doesn't lead to burnout, keeps you feeling energetic, and you feel confident. I think it's important. You'll notice that I don't teach coaches how to teach coaches how to train other coaches and then do coaching. There's a lot of BS out in the world. As you said, Philip, anyone can hang their shingle. And I've seen people who left their job one day prior and then put up a website (laughs) saying they coach entrepreneurs. Give me an effing break, please. But it's out there. And I've seen it so many times that I get disillusioned. So you got to look at the incentive structure of how is a person making their money? Like the same thing is happening in yoga studios. A lot of yoga studios make their money by teaching, training yoga teachers. And then there's so many yoga teachers and not enough students that they can even teach. Now, Mm -hmm. I believe in an abundance mindset, but I think it's just, so the reason that made me think of that with pricing is some people are like, the higher, the better charge what you're worth, you know? And and for me, I've sometimes lowered my rates. I've sometimes lowered my rates with a current client 
Because I'm like, hey, I just lowered my rates across the board. I wanted to give you the same price. Or now we're in maintenance mode. It's been a year. Let me lower your rate. I believe in these long-term relationships and doing the right thing. And in my pricing, reflecting the amount of attention and care I can give, which isn't always that much in between sessions. So I just am giving you permission to price in a way that feels stretchy and edgy but still fits within your skill set, your experience, and your confidence. There are so many more questions, and I wish we had so much more time because the BFF day that we're going to be planning in the future, you know, we got to do that, and then more questions here. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for, for coming on here. I Like I mentioned right at the beginning, you are my dream guest, and it's just been an absolute pleasure to have you here today. And Thanks for coming and shaking things up, for providing a incredibly different perspective than we hear from a lot of our guests tonight. I appreciate that, but I just appreciate you sharing your story, the work that you put out in the world, and just the opportunity for somebody like me who was starting out in this whole coaching journey and that it meant a lot to me. So I want to say thank you for all those things. Thank you so much, Philip. Well, we can always do another round, especially if those of you who are listening, maybe you have follow-up questions on some of this. I think it would be great if you let Philip know what you'd want to hear more about. I'm always happy to come back. I love that you're doing this podcast and having this conversation. And just to, so I'm not, so I'm not too discouraging. I don't think it's bad to be a coach at all, but who you are, how you live your life, what you've done in your life is as important as the coach credential. Hmm. So I think that's the piece that we didn't really talk about, which is, you know, when I left Google, I got so many clients because they're like, teach me, how do I do that? And it had nothing to do with what I learned in coach training. I mean, a little bit, but it was what I had done. And then I thought I moved to Bali and Thailand for two months little ways into running my business. And I was so nervous. I thought all my clients are going to think I'm a flake. They're going to leave. You know, this was again, like prior to nomadic life being so um, easy, especially in 2020, everything's digital. And instead of all my clients leaving and my business falling apart, I got more clients because they said, I want to do what you're doing. How can I do that? And I did a podcast recently on how I run my business without social media. More people joined Momentum because they think, I want to do that. So this is my encouragement to you that along with the coaching skills that you're developing and services you're providing, keep finding what makes your heart sing and following those clues we talked about at the beginning, being open to serendipity. And those things that happen in your life are as aspirational for your potential clients as the skills you're building. So I'll, I'll end on that note. And thank you again, Philip, so much for the kind words and for having me. And it really means so much. Of course. And just so everybody knows too, where can people find you? You can find me at pivotmethod.com. If you want to take my free mini course, it's called Free Up Founder Time. That's pivotmethod.com slash founder time. You could learn more about Momentum, pivotmethod.com slash momentum. And if you tell us that you came from Philip's podcast, we'll give you something special and him. I don't know what yet, but why not? (laughs) Wherever you listen to podcasts, just look for Pivot with Jenny Blake. And thank you so much for listening to what my friend Neil calls the end of the podcast club. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Jenny. And for everybody listening, we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. For more information, check out becomeacareercoach.com, where you can find information on this podcast, our programs, books, and endless content on, well, 
how to become a career coach. Also, don't be shy. If you have any questions or kind words, we'd love to hear from you. And you can reach me directly at philip at happentoyourcareer.com. And that's Philip with two L's. So thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.